Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Welcome everybody to ACF Church. We're so glad that you're with us here today. My name is Brian and I'm one of the pastors at ACF and we are starting a brand new series today called Adore and we are in the Christmas season, which can you believe it? I mean, this has been a wild year and here we are and it's almost over. Can I get an amen? 2020 is almost done, but I have a couple things for you before we get into the message today. We are right now a very unique church. Uh, One thing that we're saying about ACF is that we are one church meeting in many locations. If you know much about what we've done through COVID-19, it's it's that we have become a bunch of house churches um, across the community and, and even all over the world. People are meeting as ACF church in homes and we're calling them ACF outposts. And so we've kind of taken the Home Depot model of church. It's essentially, uh, you can do it and we can help. So that's really why we're here as a team, as a staff, is to equip and serve you as you lead church in your home. And incredible things are happening in these homes. We're seeing people give their hearts to Jesus. People are getting baptized. People are serving their community together and and relationships are being formed and the church is happening. And we're so excited about that. And as we go into this next year, a couple of things that you need to keep in mind. First, in December, we're doing a community-wide outreach, and it's, it's called our Christmas light drive-through. And so we're going to decorate this, this whole entire campus with Christmas lights. There's going to be music playing on people's radios to, to kind of synchronize with the lights. And, and we're just going to bring a little bit of cheer to a very difficult and hopeless season uh, for many people. And, and so what that means is uh, we need your help. This is your chance to, to step out and to be part of what God is doing through ACF Church so far. We've seen so much good stuff happen because people have really chosen to own ACF. Really, that is the future of the church. It's being driven by those of you who have said, we 
own ACF. This is our church, and we're going to actually be a part of the forward motion of the church moving forward. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that. Also, in January, we're launching an in-person gathering. We're really excited about it, and we've, we've said everything. God willing, we're launching an in-person gathering in this building, one service, and we're just going to see who's going to show up to that, and we're going to begin to operate in what we're calling a hybrid church model. And so we're going to be meeting online. You can join us on our online campus. You can also join us at an ACF outpost with some people uh, because you need to find your people. I just want to tell you that right now. Or in January, again, God willing, we're going to launch an in-person gathering here in this building. And so here's the deal. We need you. I'm just, I'm inviting you and asking you to, to own ACF in this season for these two incredible opportunities to serve. And so um, I'm going to actually put on the screen a link and a QR code for you to be able to jump in and to serve. And so if you're in an outpost, we're going to give you about 30 seconds. If you're watching online, just find a computer, find a way to click over to this link, and there'll be two different ways that you can actually sign up to serve and to be part of what God is doing in our community right now. So take a second to do that. Well, we're starting a brand new series today called Adore. And to adore something simply means to worship something. And so I want to start off with a simple reality, and this is true for you no matter where you're at, whether you're churched or unchurched or de-churched, and it's simply this, everybody worships. Everyone worships. And I love this quote by David Foster Wallace. He says this, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. It's a powerful reality that anything but God that becomes what we worship will actually destroy us and so I want to talk about this uh, idea of worship throughout this Christmas season. The first thing we have to figure out is what actually is worship. Well, here's what it is. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in such a way that engages your entire being. So it's not just simply to like something or want something. It's this kind of want and kind of affection and adoration that you give to something that engages all of you and everybody does it. Whether you're right now scrolling through TikTok, watching this sermon as well online, uh, you're worshiping. Your neighbor who maybe never waves at you, when you wave at them, they are a worshiper. The day-to-day, Sunday-to-Sunday, week-to-week churchgoer, they are a worshiper. Everybody worships. Now, a lot of people say they don't. 
Maybe you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, I don't think that I actually worship anything because I want control over my own life. I don't give that kind of power and authority to anything else. But I love what Rebecca Pippert says. She says this, one thing is for certain. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. And I just promise you that something is the Lord of your life. Something has authority and power in your life and it's driving you. And it's the thing that ultimately will also destabilize you when it's taken away. So as a Christian, we're not trying to worship. If you're a Christian, uh, we're not trying to become worshipers. We're already worshipers. It's just, this is the idea that as a Christian, we're not trying to worship. We're transferring our worship. We're trying to transfer it from the things of this world to the God of this world, the God of creation, the God that created us. We want to give our worship ultimately to him. And so to talk about worship and to start off this new season, I actually want to talk to you about idols. And and so I know for some of you, you're like, nothing says Merry Christmas, like a little conversation about idolatry. But listen, for us to understand that, that God is ultimate, God is the one that when we worship him, we will actually experience peace and joy. For us to understand that, we have to identify the idols in our lives. I love what John Calvin says. He says that our hearts, all of our hearts, are idol factories. It's like we just have this ability to create idols out of nothing. Now, what is idolatry? Idolatry is simply valuing anything more than we value God. So when you wander into that realm, you have wandered into idolatry. I recently read a great book, and I'd encourage you to pick it up. It's, it's called Counterfeit Gods. It's by Timothy Keller, and actually a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is in this book, and so when you read it, you're going to say, oh, that sounds like the sermon, and it's because I got a lot from Tim Keller for the message today, but he really teaches us a very simple principle, is that there are good things that God gives us. When we turn them to God things, they become idols. So we take good things and make them into God things. That's when they become bad things. And this happens all the time. God gives us a good gift and then it becomes a God to us. We begin to worship that gift and then it becomes a bad thing, a hurtful thing that's stealing our joy in life. Now let's just take an inventory of those things right now. First, love. Money. Sex. Status. Influence, image, politics. I'm just going to leave that one up for just a second. Health. This is one I want to put in there. How about ministry? So, so for me, I know this. If ministry becomes a God thing, a good thing becomes a, a God thing, it has become an idol. And I just, I promise you, pastors are just as susceptible to all of this as anyone else, that we can make our ministry something God has given us into something that we worship and ultimately it steals our adoration from God and we're giving it to something that we're doing. And so if you have a Bible, open up to Psalm 115. I want to spend a few minutes there and you can also go to the ACF Church app and all the the text will be there as well. But this psalmist is going to contrast the power of Yahweh, the God of Israel, with the weakness of their idols. And I just, I think we're going to see ourselves in this text as we go through it. You see, Israel, just like us, was always tempted to give their worship to other gods. And he begins with this question that's being asked of the followers 
of Yahweh. Verse 2 says this, why should the nations say, where is their God? So he's speaking about the nation speaking to Israel, and he's like, and they're basically taunting Israel, saying, hey, where is your God? Like, I can see my God right here. I can see the thing that I worship or the thing that I've created that I, I bow down to. I can see my God. Well, Israel, where is your God? In this statement, it brings out this idea of immediate gratification, that we, we want a, a physical representation of, of everything that we worship right in front of us. And so this becomes difficult for God's people, right, when we can't necessarily see God at work in our lives and we feel sometimes like he's distant. And so for, for the people in the world, sometimes you'll, you'll hear this, like, hey, where is this God you say you worship? Where are they? What are they doing right now? Well, here's the, the psalmist's response in verse 3. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So we have this eternal God that can't be bought and can't be restricted by the world that we live in, and he does everything he wants to do. So no matter what you're going through, God is doing whatever he pleases. There is there's some kind of peace and a, and a firm foundation in that reality, if you truly believe that here today. Verse 4. Says their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. So, if you know the story of Israel, you know back in Exodus chapter twenty, we we see Moses getting the tablets, getting the law from God, and bringing them down the mountain. And, and there's there's this one first commandment, and if you remember what it is, it's simply this: don't worship anything but God. Nothing else gets your worship. Only God gets your worship. And all of these commands, we have to remember, they're to protect us. They're to care for us. They're to give us peace and life on this earth. And so he comes down the mountain. And, and what is Israel literally doing? Do you remember? They're, they're worshiping this golden calf that they had created. So, so they're already breaking that first commandment. And do you remember how they respond? When, when he comes down and sees them doing this, they basically said, hey, we threw some gold in the fire and out came this calf. We don't really know what happened, right? Which when I, I was reading that story earlier this week, I was like, you know what? Idolatry makes you stupid. You say stupid, thing, right? You, you want to protect yourself. You don't want to acknowledge that you're bowing down to an idol. And so we say all kinds of stupid things that don't make any sense to defend our idolatry. And so this is nothing new. It's, it's always happened, always been a temptation in our lives. And so uh, the psalmist is going to go on to show us how really r- ridiculous idolatry actually is. In verse 5, he says, They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. He's saying, hey, these idols that you're worshiping, they're dead. But you, Israel, or you, God's people, in 2020, have a living God. A God that that is alive and active in this broken world. And so we get to choose. Do we want to worship something dead or something that is alive? And, And ultimately, he's making this statement that I think we need to realize, which is that we resemble what we worship. Whatever you give yourself to, it begins to to rub off on you. And so you start to become like whatever it is that you're worshiping, whether it's alive and giving life or it's dead and stealing life. So I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of an example from my life. So I'm a millennial. 
Um, you got to love me, right? Uh, but I grew up in uh, the generation that was all about the show Home Improvement. Any Home Improvement fans out there? Uh, I'm sure there's many of you. And so when Home Improvement was popular, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was the man. And so if you're a millennial girl in uh, that's watching this video, you need to just raise your hand and admit you had a poster on your wall. I know you did, right? And so, so when I was a teenager, JTT was the man, the ladies all wanted to be around Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And so I started kind of like watching him and, and watching the show and, and kind of, I didn't really even really realize it, but I started to become a little bit like him. And so can we put that picture up and see, I'll see what you think. So, so this is, this is Brian back in 2000 and uh, JTT right over there. So um, I don't know if you see it, but I didn't realize it, but I, I kind of became a little bit like a Jonathan Taylor Thomas, right? Because I, I was paying attention, I was watching, I was giving my, my affection and energy to this, this show, and before I knew it, I became sort of like him, right? I'm probably, a, I'm a better looking version, I'm sure you would agree, but this is the reality that whatever you worship, it rubs off on you, you become like that thing, whatever it may be. And so, to diagnose our idols, I want to spend a few minutes doing this together. I want to talk about two things specifically, that every idol has a symptom and a source. Your idol comes out and it's visible in certain ways in your life. Symptoms show up, but those idols also have a source. They come from somewhere. And so two questions we're going to ask. First, what is your surface idol? Like what are the things specifically that are causing pain in your life right now? What are the things right now that are consuming your thoughts and your energy? I would say this, what is giving you the most fear right now? Think about that for, for a moment. That, that is where your idol is living in your, in your life. So what is your surface idol? And then what, are, what is your source idol? Like, like where is it coming from? So it's coming out in a certain way, right? Like you're freaking out on Facebook and screaming at everybody, or maybe you're, you're frustrated with the kids, or maybe you're questioning some things in your marriage right now, or, or maybe you, you hate what you look like, and so you're very hard on yourself. And, and that is actually a surface idol, but below that is a source idol. There's something that's going wrong in your heart that you're worshiping that isn't the Lord of the world. And so I want to talk through those things for a moment. And Tim Keller says that you can actually find your idols with this simple phrase. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if. So how would you finish that statement? Life only has meaning and I only have worth if. Let's walk through a bunch of these here real quick first. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. So the symptom is that I need power and influence. People see that in your life and they're like, hey, why is this so important to you? Why do you need this so much? But the source idol is power. Like you worship power. That's the thing that you've given ultimate affection and adoration and authority to in your life. How about this? Life only has meaning and I only have worth if people are dependent on me and need me. So for some of you, this is a really big deal. You need to be needed. You need to be wanted. So wherever you go, you need for, for there to be a job and it needs to be important and people need to need you, right? Well, that's the, the surface idol, but the source idol is, is helping. You actually idolize helping. Again, a good thing becomes a God thing, then becomes a bad thing. How about this? Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am completely free 
from obligations or responsibilities to take care of someone. Okay? So for, for some of you, you just, you do not want to commit to anything, right? If, if the job's going to take too much time or the relationship's going to take too much time, if it's going to take way too much effort, like you're, you, you stiff arm that kind of opportunity, right? Now that's the surface idol, but the source idol is independence. Like you don't want to be needed. You don't want for anybody to need you around. And so you idolize that and you're going to give up a lot to achieve that in your life. How about this? Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and very nice possessions. So that is the surface idol. Like, you're just, you're, you're working, right? You, you're trying to fill the bank account, make sure that your retirement is padded really well, and you want to make sure that you can do whatever you want with your money. People say that all the time. I just, I just want to be able to make decisions without having to think so much about it with my finances, right? And so whether you know it or not, the source idol is materialism. Like you are worshiping the material things of this world instead of the God that is giving those things. Again, not bad things. Wealth, financial freedom, and, and nice possessions. Don't feel bad if you have a great running car with a nice paint job, right? Don't feel bad if you have a bank account that is, is fuller than, than your friends, right? Don't feel bad for that. Those are good things that become God things and ultimately become bad things. Oh, this life only has meaning and I only have worth if my children and or parents are happy and happy with me. Some of you, you can't be okay. And you can't have meaning and worth unless your children and parents are, are okay with you. And so your idol is the family. The family has become an idol. A good thing becomes a God thing. It becomes the thing that steals your worship of God. Life only has meaning. And I only have worth if Mr. or Mrs. Wright is in love with me. I know that's hard, right? So there's some single people watching today. And so this is the thing that you lay in bed at night, the thing thinking about, the thing that steals your joy and ultimately your source idol is relationships. And so we could go on for hours and I would encourage you, you can go online and look up uh, the, the idolatry charts on Google and you're going to see all of these source idols and emotions that are tied in with all of these things. And I encourage you to do so because how are we going to fix it if we can't identify it? How are we going to let God convict us of our sin if we don't know where it is right now? And so since this is the Christmas season, I want you actually to, to flip over to Matthew 2. This is the, uh, the story about how Jesus came to us. And, and see, the thing about Jesus is when he came to earth, he had this way of revealing people's idols. Like when they would talk to Jesus, it would become very clear as to what they worshipped, what they adored. Because to follow Jesus means that you get to make a choice. You can choose between your idol or between the God that would come and, and ultimately die for you. And so Jesus forces us to identify our idols and make a decision. So verse 1 says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews. So the Magi, we're going to talk about them for a minute. Um, they're, they're the wise men. So you've heard the story since you were a kid of the wise men coming to Jesus. Well, Magi simply in the Greek means astrologers. 
They're astrologers. They, they follow the stars. They're, they're scientists. And, and so maybe you're like, well, that, that's cool. There's people today that study the stars. But this wasn't simply a hobby of theirs. This was their religion, right? That, that science was their religion. People say this today. Hey, we're just following the science with COVID. Hey, just, just follow the science. Well, well that, that can be a good thing until it becomes a God thing and then it becomes a bad thing, right? At some point, whatever it is, if it's not God, becomes a, a bad thing. So for these magi, they were simply these people who followed the science. They were like the wizards of the day. And so the text says this, behold, behold, that's a big deal. Like, like can you believe it? No way. These pagan star-worshiping magic wizards want to come and worship Jesus. I thought about this picture. Like Gandalf wants to come and worship Jesus. Behold, can you believe it? These people who worship the stars, who worship science, are, are for whatever reason seeking out Jesus and they want to worship him. Now, we don't know that there were three of them, and I know that messes with your nativity scene at home. Um, there are probably dozens of them, in fact, that were coming to worship Jesus. But here's what I love about this. Their study of the stars led them to the savior of their souls. It actually led them, the star led them to Jesus. And I just couldn't help but think, man, God meets us where we are. Like right in our idolatry, right in the thing that we give authority and power in our lives to that, that isn't Jesus. God meets us in those things and that's how he introduces us to his grace. And he shows us where he is that so God can meet you wherever you are. I just want you to know that. He can meet us in our atheism, in our self-centeredness, in our love of money, in our addiction. God loves to meet us in our empty pursuits, to show them for what they are, and to reveal the supremacy and greatness of Jesus over every idol in our lives. God meets us where we are. And so, again, how did these guys find him? Well, Matthew 2, 3. It says, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Again, they, 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 the thing that they worshiped ultimately led them to Jesus, right? Now, these guys, they were into all different kinds of religions. Um, the term is polytheistic. They believed in all kinds of different theologies. But this guy, the, these guys, they came to worship Jesus and, and Jesus ultimately led them to the hope that they were looking for. When they arrive in Jerusalem, they begin asking questions about Jesus. And so we know that. Um, and at this point, Jesus has already been born. Uh, normally in the nativity scene, like the wise men are there and, and baby Jesus is there. But honestly, it's probably, Jesus was probably two years old when the Magi showed up. Again, sorry about the nativity scene. Um, they came from the East. Many people believe from Persia. And they came a long ways. We know that. A long ways to find the truth. And the word had gotten out about the king being born in Bethlehem. And, and, and again, we know that King Herod is already fired up about this because he's somebody who worships power, right? And so uh, Jesus, this, this Messiah that would, that would be born, would actually threaten his idol. And here's what I know as a pastor. When you, when you step on someone's idol, they get really upset. When you step on someone's idol, they get really defensive. And so for Herod, the Messiah showing up was going to step on his idol, was going to threaten his power. And so he was angry about this. And in Matthew 2, 7, it says, Then Herod 
summon the wise men secretly and ascertain from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So, this is not true. <laughs> he does not want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus. This, this guy, Herod, we know, had, had this plan to be in power. And so when, when Jesus would oppose him, he would want to kill him. And so the fact that Jesus was showing up was a threat to his idol. And so he told the wise men, like, I want to go worship Jesus. But ultimately, we know that was not his plan at all. That was not his plan. So we know the story continues. The wise men, they find Jesus, they bow down and worship Jesus, and they bring three expensive gifts. And if you know the story, you know what they are. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And and these gifts are really intentional gifts. They were given with a purpose. Gold is the most valuable of all metals. And it's also used to build idols in their day. So, so they took this thing that was meant to, use to, to, to be used to build idols and they actually uh, used it to, to worship the Savior of the world, the God who is worthy of that kind of affection, frankincense. Uh, this was burned by the priests in the temple to represent the presence of God. So they give gold to represent the value of this, this baby that was going to be this, the, the Messiah to the world, and then frankincense, that the presence of God is here in this child that's being born. And then myrrh. Myrrh was an embalming fluid for bodies. And so uh, we don't think of this much, but they're essentially preparing this child for burial. So this is, a, this is to, to kind of foreshadow what would come in the life of this child. He was coming to die for the sins of the world. So think about it. This child would come as three things specifically. A king represented by the gold, a priest, represented by the frankincense, and then also a sacrifice, represented by the myrrh. So again, it's just crazy who God uses, isn't it? I mean, these pagan sorcerers actually had enough Bible background that led them to Jesus and if you look at this historically, these, these sorcerers, they, they actually, their grandparents probably taught them about the prophecies of the Messiah. So they had this understanding. Again, they, they were polytheistic. They had a, a lot of understandings about a lot of different religions like many of maybe you do as well. But then they, they, they understood that ultimately that this Jesus was the true Messiah, the true Savior of the world, and God met them in their place, met them right where they were, and he even used their idolatry, and he used their sin to draw them in, which is what God exactly does for us. And so the story continues on. Um, they're warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and so they take another route home. Let's pick it up in Matthew 2.16. It says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, become, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So we know, once again, this Messiah that would become born as a child was stepping on his idol of power. And so he was willing to do whatever it took, even uh, the death of these children, to protect his idol. So think about these two. You've got the wise men, and then you've got Herod, right? Let's talk about the symptoms of Herod's, Herod's idol. So power, right? So power, 
what it does is it hides his confidence. If you worship power, it hides his confidence in your life. You might just say, well, I'm just a confident person, but this is actually something that has become an idol to you. The other thing we see is that your biggest fear is probably losing. When somebody worships power, it hides his confidence and you really hate losing. I mean, that's the biggest fear in your life. And then your emotions well up. Your problem emotion is anger. You get angry when your idols threaten. You get angry uh, when anybody else wins. And so this is something in your life, like everybody gets angry, but for you, like it's a, it's a real problem. It comes out in some really, really hurtful ways. Now the people of your life, they, they, they feel a certain way when your idol is power. Other people feel, they feel manipulated by you because that's what you have to do. You have to use people to be able to keep yourself in power. And so people feel that over time. They feel manipulated. Now, when I, when I look at this, I can see some of this in my life, right? And I can be convicted by the things. For you, you're thinking, I just read your mail, right? Like some of you are thinking, this is me to a T. Or you think, man, I know somebody like that, but just hold on if you're thinking it's somebody else. Like, you could walk through all of this for yourself. Again, I can't go through all the different scenarios and all the different idols, but you have a source and a surface idol that hides as something, that causes a certain kind of fear in your life, that creates an emotion that gets out of control. And when people uh, rub up against your idol in any way or threaten your idol, they feel a certain feeling from you. And so consider this. God, again, meets us where we are. He takes us through these idols when they're revealed to us. And he can even use those things to draw us to himself like he did with the wise men. In the end, for for Herod, Herod is willing to kill to protect his idol. Uh, some of you have said and done some pretty hurtful things to protect your idol. Because here's the deal. You will ultimately give up whatever it takes to worship what your heart adores. Like whatever it takes, you will give it up to give affection, to worship whatever it is that your heart adores. Have you ever spent some money on something and loved every second of it? I bet that thing was not your power bill, right? Because most of us don't worship having power in the house, although it would be a big deal if it was gone and all of a sudden we'd probably change our tune. But we don't get really excited about spending money on our power bill because it's not something that holds our affection. But whether it's a new car or maybe some new clothes or whatever it may be that that holds your affection, like, man, you love spending money on that thing, whatever it may be. And this is just how it works with the idols in our lives. We will give up whatever it takes, whatever is needed to show worship to the thing that our hearts adore. So I want you to think for a moment. Where do you resist God's presence in your life? Herod was willing to kill to get rid of the presence of God on earth, right? Killing all of these children. And so for you, where is this tension in your life? Where do you resist God's presence? Christmas is about what's called the incarnation, which is God in the flesh on earth. And so for you to take a step forward, for any of us to take a step forward, we need to name our idol so that we can invite God's presence into that part of our lives. I want to go through them again. Is it love? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it status? Is it influence? Is it image? Politics? Health? Is it ministry? 
There may be others. These are just, this is just a place to start to, to, to begin to diagnose what's broken within your heart. Because at some point, you will be forced to choose between your idol and an eternity with Jesus. At some point, we will be forced to, 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 to decide what is it that we want to give our affection to? What is it that we want to adore? And here's the beautiful thing. Once you name it, I promise you this, God will show you how to kill it. If you're willing to name it, uh, really the best way to deal with the idols in our lives is simply confession and repentance. Maybe you need to talk to somebody else here today and say, hey, I saw myself right there in Herod. Or maybe, maybe you saw yourself in this list and you're like, man, that, that is my idol. That's my source of all of these different problems that are rising up in my life. I've been treating the symptoms, but the problem really is that I worship something that isn't Jesus. My friendships are falling apart. My marriage is falling apart. I can't focus in church right now. I'm giving myself to all of these things, but none of them are fulfilling me. Ultimately, there is a source idol that God wants to free you from. I just promise you, he wants to help you with it. And so you will have a decision to make. I would say that right now you have a decision to make. If you're like, man, I know what that thing is. God is saying, hey, you can choose between me and your idols, but you can't have both. The Bible is very clear about that. Once again, the very first commandment, have no other gods above me. So we cannot have both. I'll close with this story. So I used to spend the summers on the farm with my grandfather and learned a lot about myself and just about the world and got some pretty interesting skills from spending the summers on the farm. But he would grow corn out in these fields. And one of the problems that he had with the corn was, was he would get raccoons in the cornfield. And, and so every summer we'd have to figure out how do we get rid of these raccoons? How do we catch them? How do we trap them? And how do we remove them? Because they will decimate the cornfield. So one day we go to the store. He says, hey, we're going to deal with those raccoons. And I was like, all right. So we go uh, walking around the store. He buys two things. He buys a bucket, just a white industrial bucket with a lid on it. And then he buys a big old package of Nutter Butters, which, you know, I was just happy that we had some Nutter Butters, right? I thought this is a win no matter what, but I had no idea what in the world he was going to do with those two items. And so we get out to the field and he cuts this little hole in the side of the bucket and he shoves it full of Nutter Butters and he leaves it out in the cornfield. And I said, well, Grandpa, what's that about? How could that possibly do anything except for make me hungry because you didn't give me any of the, the Nutter Butters? And he said, well, here's the simple reality. The raccoons will wander around and the corn's good, but the, mutter, the, the Nutter Butters, they, they smell even better, right? So they'll stick their hand in the hole and they'll, they'll grab on. He said, he said, they will hold on tight and they will actually hold on to that Nutter Butter until they starve because they want to get it out so bad. And so you can either wait till they starve or you can actually go and get them while they're holding on to the thing they want the most. Here's the deal. They would rather die than give up what they wanted. And I wonder for you, when it comes to that thing that you're holding on to today, the thing that you will not let go of, the thing that when Pastor Brian preaches about it, you get all riled up, or the thing that when your, your wife or, or husband, when they ask you about it, man, you're defensive and you don't want to have the conversation, the thing that when you sit down and pray and God convicts you about it, you get up because you don't want to pray anymore. Whatever that thing is, God is saying, hey, 
Would you rather hold on to that and die? Or would you want to let go of that thing, whatever it may be, and take hold of eternal life in Jesus? We have decisions to make every day. My encouragement to you is to let go of your idol. And I believe that this is a beautiful way to show our adoration to Jesus this Christmas season. So if you're in an outpost right now, I have a question for you. And it's simply this. How do you know what you're worshiping right now? How do you know? And I want you to have this conversation because the reality is we're, we're often blind to our idols. We don't really see them the way that maybe other people see them. And so this is why being in community is so important. And if you're not in an ACF outpost, I want to encourage you, go to one next week. Like the one thing that you can't get by simply watching online is the conversation that happens. And so in your outposts or, or even just if you're watching and, and maybe you're not part of one, go grab a few friends today and have this conversation. How do we know what we're worshiping right now? And maybe here's the real question is, is it worthy of your adoration? Let's pray together. Jesus, I just want to ask you to be honest with us right now. All of us, God, those who are watching online, and God, for me in my heart, God, would you show me my idols? God, show me the, the excuses that I've made and the defensive defenses that I've made, God, and the many ways that I want to defend the idols in my life. Father, we know that those things don't give us life, and Ultimately, God, they don't, they don't help us to love others well. And so, Jesus, would you make it clear to us? And then, God, would you give us the strength that maybe we don't have to let go of those things? God, to let, to let go of the nutter butter. God, to let go of the thing that's wanting to kill us so that we might take hold of the God who loves us, the God that died for us. If this is you today, if you know that you've had some idols in your life, just pray with me. Jesus, I, I want to let go of those things. Father, I want to take hold of your hand. God, I believe today that you are greater and better and more life-giving than anything else in this world that I would hold on to. So Father, I want to receive you today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.